Welcome to the Simply People Podcast with Simply People founder and your host, Danny Clark. Hello and welcome to the Simply People Podcast, the show that brings you the people behind particular subjects, organizations and stories. I'm Danny Clark and today we're talking all things long distance running, podcasting and a TV appearance with Daniel Rosenberg from Sod's Law Podcast. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Thanks for joining me. I normally Thank you start very much these for shows. Me. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I normally start these shows with just asking what you're up to at the moment. What I'm up to, I'm sitting in sweaty running gear with a jumper on because I'm both hot and cold for some reason at the same time in my podcast studio slash office, similar to you, I guess. Amazing. So, what's one thing I mentioned with regards to your podcast, and and, and anyone that's not listened to it, I'd thoroughly recommend it as a recent subscriber myself it's uh sod's law podcast which is an interesting title how did you come up with the title <laughs> so when my wife victoria and i were thinking about what to name the podcast when we were thinking about just doing any type of podcast the 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 term came about because it's it's well, sod's law it's a british axiom it, like it's a very pessimistic optimistic way of thinking of things like i try and explain it like this i think sod's law means if something's going to go wrong it's going to go wrong in the worst possible way but at the end of the day you're going to be all right that's the british thing it's like ah it's raining but it's not enough to really get you down like the bill bailey joke like ah being british a bit rubbish but at least we've got nectar points so it's like a positive negative thing at the same time and whenever anything i would really try and work hard on sod's law i'd, I'd fuck it up i'd mess it up <laughs> something would go wrong and it would go really badly wrong and so it was a case of me saying, why, why don't we call it Sod's Law? Because in Sod's Law, I'm always the Sod. So that, that's where we decided to use that name. That's a great name. That's a, I, I do really like the Sod's Law because I think it's, it's that the definition of Sod's Law is sometimes crossed over with Murphy's Law. That's Again, right, yeah. If it's going to go wrong, it's going to go wrong. And chances are it's going to go wrong to you or to me. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah. But podcasting then, so what prompted you to launch a podcast? So I was doing a lot of driving for work. Uh, I, uh, for my real job, I, I run a sustainable manufacturing and construction business uh, just near Manchester Airport. And I, before COVID, was clocking up the miles on the road and getting very bored of Radio 4 and just finding that whole thing very contrived, the, the sort of shock jock, radio jockey, just it wasn't authentic. And my brother um, introduced me to the concept of podcasts, even though I'd had an iPhone for a few years and I didn't know what that little Apple podcasts purple app meant. And he went, oh, if you're bored of the radio and you're not really going to pay for an audible subscription, why don't you listen to podcasts? They're free. And he put me onto uh, initially the Comedians Comedian podcast with Stuart Goldsmith because we're both big fans of stand-up comedy. And from there, it went on to WTF with Mark Maron and then Joe Rogan experience and then just it's now i listen to hours and hours and hours of podcasts a week if i'm at my desk and i'm doing something menial i'm listening to a podcast running podcast brushing my teeth sometimes a podcast avoiding my kids podcast i'm just always listening to a podcast and it, it made me feel less alone in life it made me feel like my problems were not insignificant but it made me feel like other people had these problems and i wasn't alone and I talk a lot for a living anyway. I was doing a lot of big scale presentations and uh, professional development seminars. And I thought, while I'm listening to these conversations, 
it's very unique the podcast medium when you're listening to a conversation because you feel like you're inside it you're driving in your car and someone tells a joke and you laugh as if the joke's being told to you and i felt like sometimes i could add to that conversation and we all feel like that i think when we're like enjoying something you're watching mcgregor versus poirier and you're thinking i would have done this i would have done that but no one ever actually gets up and does, does will do it and I said to my wife, I think I'd really like to start a podcast based on loving podcasts and speaking to interesting people all the time. So we came up with the concept initially to do with talking about parenting because we were parents, still are, and at the time we're struggling to have a third kid. So we thought we would talk to dads primarily about what it's like being a dad, trials and tribulations of family life. And it just spiraled. We, we tried to record like a dozen episodes prior to release. And immediately, maybe by the third time I was recording, thinking, this can't just be such a pigeonhole thing. We've got to just talk to people we enjoy talking to. So it became creative people. It became people having interesting stories to tell, not dissimilar to simply people. And it's now just talking to ordinary people about their extraordinary stories. It's all well and good that, I don't know, Joe Wicks has started his latest podcast and is going to be talking to celebrities from such and such to so-and-so. But what about John Smith, who struggled to have kids, or this lady who suffers from a reproductive issue that happens to, to one in 10 women? It's incredibly common, but no one talks about it in this medium. And that's sort of what it's become more and more about and it, it will develop over time it might not be the same thing it is now in a year's time compared to a year ago but we're loving it and it's yeah it's it's we've had incredible feedback and we're never going to look back as far as i'm concerned amazing so it's it's kind of your way of shaping a conversation and being part of that conversation i guess yeah i think we're all very social animals in our different ways and my way of being social initially was to talk to people you might have guessed i can keep talking and the podcast and as well was supposed to be an avenue for me to learn how to listen more and i know like i'm on your podcast today i'm doing a lot of talking but i try my best when i'm talking to somebody try not to interview them but just talk to them but let them talk in their own words in their own way and that is that's been a very steep learning curve for me not just having a, a series of questions just trying to engage with them so they can speak in a way that they're comfortable. And yeah, it, it's, it's opened up some amazing doors for me, mental health wise and personally and professionally as well. Yeah, absolutely. Mental health is one of the fundamental parts of the platform to be fair. So the podcast itself um, supports the community that I've built around occupational health and wellbeing. Funnily enough. So it's really interesting to hear you talk about taboo subjects. And actually, one of the things that the community is designed to do is to kind of raise people's awareness of mental health, raise people's awareness yeah. of women's health, not just reproductive yeah. issues, but menopause in the workplace and things like that, but also neurodiversity. Yeah, okay. um, so we try to kind of talk about those subjects quite openly to, to people and raise people's awareness around the chances of you encountering somebody that has a condition that's hidden and they might not feel comfortable talking about, but actually how you can facilitate those conversations better i think especially related to the workplace sure. um, yeah. so that's kind of where we've come from with the community it's really interesting how you kind of talk about your journey so i'm going to kind of come on to the next part in a second but you started off talking about dads and parenting issues and stuff like that and the last yeah. podcast i listened to was talking to 
the renowned Nazi hunter Ephraim. So you kind of go, so if you'd not kind of pivoted and been fluid, you kind of never would have had that amazing conversation. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's just kind of really interesting from, from my perspective. And I'm a bit, bit like yourself, really, in terms of I'm interested in people. Yeah. And I don't want to hear about somebody talking to a celebrity that's just got no relevance to me living in a 25 bedroom mansion. I want to hear about somebody <laughs> that lives down the street that's gone, gone and done extraordinary things. It's, yeah. the, it's the Fiona Oaks. It's the people that do these extraordinary things. And you think people don't necessarily know who they are, but yet they are amazing. And they've yeah. got such resilience and determination and courage. And actually just finding out about their stories is, is passionate and, and really inspires me, um, to be fair. So having you on is amazing. And I'd love to explore how that whole podcast with FOM came about and your passion behind that particular subject, if, sure. if, if you're open to that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So how did it happen? So I'm a Jew. It's, uh, it's a strange thing i guess of trying to describe it to someone who isn't jewish or doesn't know any jews jewishness or being a jew is two-pronged it's a religion and it's a people right so anybody can practice judaism but that doesn't mean they're an ethnic jew and anyone can convert to judaism but again depending how you look at it they're not necessarily a jew uh, as jews anyone who converts through the appropriate channels is as Jewish as the next person, but that's from a religious perspective. Now, I grew up in what would be described as a modern Orthodox Jewish household, i.e. we're British Jews. So we're British, but we're Jews. So like, we're very much involved in British culture. You don't see us walking down the street in black hats and beards, apart from maybe looking like the stereotypical Nazi profile of a, a big nose like I've, I've got you might not know a jew like me because they just look like a normal white person and i just grew up in a loving home where jewishness was just a part of our upbringing the festivals the the principles of family and community and i, I became a bit more religious as a teenager because i went to israel and and just engaged with that more and as I've gotten older, I've kind of fallen back onto this cultural side of things, less religious. Um, I've described myself in the past as being a flimsy Jew, which we talked about prior to we recording. Did. And by flimsy, I mean like, like I will happily, I don't know, watch TV on a Saturday on the Sabbath, but I'll feel really bad about it. But me feeling really bad about it doesn't mean I'm actually going to do anything to change it, if you see what I mean. Yeah. And the benefit of being a Jew is you don't have to observe anything to do with Judaism to be a Jew or to be welcomed into a synagogue or into a community. If you're a Jew, you're a Jew. And yeah, there's, I guess, I think Robin Williams called it being like Catholic light. You've got all the guilt, but you're not going to burn in hell, if you see what I mean. So you can do what you like. And yeah, people might judge you, but you're still always a Jew. And so on to Ephraim Zoroff and how I ended up speaking to him. I just found that I was speaking to more and more Jews on the podcast because that's my community. So I know yeah. lots of interesting people from all over the world and I'm connected to Jews. So I speak to Jews and I think I'd reached a point where I was getting frustrated, where I was starting to speak to people that I thought other people would be interested in, but not necessarily who I'd be interested in. So I sat down with my wife, my producing and podcasting partner, Victoria, and I just said, who would you like to interview? 
she won't do the interviewing. She doesn't want to, but she does all the producing and the editing and everything behind the scenes. Who would you be interested to hear from? And she went, honestly, Holocaust survivors, survivors of trauma, people who are involved in aspects of world history that have been through tremendous struggles and pain. So I reached out to um, various different Jewish organizations, uh, Armenian organizations, organizations to do with refugees and people who've been forcibly displaced. And I got some responses back. And one of them was the Simon Wiesenthal Center in Jerusalem, which they've got a center, I think, in LA and in Jerusalem, in Israel, whereby their center was set up as essentially a, a documentation uh, organization to catalog elements of the Holocaust and by extension hunt down perpetrators of the Holocaust. So Simon Wiesenthal himself was the world's most famous, famous Nazi hunter and the Simon Wiesenthal Center was named after him in his honor. So it wasn't by him, it was in honor of him. And I found an article online about this gentleman called Dr. Ephraim Zoroff, chief Nazi hunter at the Simon Wiesenthal Center in Jerusalem, and he was uh, a prolific writer, historian, and very, very vocal uh, still today about capturing and uh, bringing to justice perpetrators of the Holocaust or collaborators with the Nazis, even though it's 70 years on. And so I thought this, this fellow looks like a really interesting guy. Let's see if I can get hold of a secretary or something. I call up the Simon Wiesenthal Center in Jerusalem and say, I'd really like to speak to somebody about booking on this gentleman onto my podcast. It's called Sod's Law, blah, 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 giving the whole spiel. And they go, hold one moment, please. And a moment later, it's like, hello. It's like, hi, my name is Danny Rosenberg. I'd like to speak to somebody about booking Ephraim Zorf on the podcast. He goes, yeah, go on. And it was him. And so it was just like, sell it to me. Tell me about it. So what's the name of it? Sod's Law. He's got this very thick Brooklyn accent. And it was just like, he was tippy-tapping away, Googled me. It's like, okay, I'm in. Let's do it. And he said, by the way, before we talk, I'd like you to read a couple of my books. And I thought, okay, fine. Like, okay, fine. He's got books to, he wants to promote. Fair enough. And he said, not because I want to promote my books, but because I'd really like to talk about certain topics and you really should read into it. And he talked about two books, one called Operation Last Chance, which was him cataloging in quite, quite a, it's not exactly a fun read. It's a very legal style book where he talks about this operation last chance thing he created where he would think from from um, his the start of his career started to find out more about nazi perpetrators and would hunt them down and try and prosecute them so it was detailing he called by the way he called it operation last chance because these perpetrators are very very old and very very few of them left so it's the last chance to catch them and another book that co-wrote with a Lithuanian author called Our People uh, Discovering Lithuania's Hidden Holocaust, which is co-written between him and a Lithuanian journalist who found out that she was the descendant of Lithuanian Nazi collaborators. So, again, that that is um, a more prosaic read, I guess. And yet, so I had to, within three or four days, read two quite thick books to get to. And I'm very glad I did because it was speaking to somebody with, somebody with superior intellect, incredible knowledge. He's a guy in his 70s who's been traveling all over the world, hunting down Nazis and dealing with ridiculous diplomatic processes his entire life. And I'm just Joe Schmo 
sitting here saying, hey, do, you, do you want to talk to me on a podcast, mate, type thing. And it, it was a surreal experience. And from there, it's opened up doors. I'm speaking to later on this week, actually, someone who was a kinder transportee. Do you know what one of those is? No. So prior to the outbreak of the Second World War, the international Jewish community supported something called the Kindertransport, which in German means literally child transport, to transport out of what was becoming Nazi Germany, children from Jewish families, because it was the water was getting hotter and hotter. And they placed these children in foster homes in the UK, maybe other countries. I've not done all my research on it yet, but that's the concept. And yeah. I'll be speaking to a gentleman who is now quite an old man who was a kinder transportee who was brought over to the UK. Um, and that's that he basically left his entire life behind as a child in Germany. So that like amazing opportunities to speak to people with not only incredible experiences horrendous experiences but experiences that are almost out of living memory yeah so I, yeah I, so that was a, it's your part of documenting history a little bit as well i guess and, and kind I guess of so, your yeah. understanding of it i guess so i guess that what i didn't say was that was victoria's point was not just talking to people that she'd be interesting to hear spoke people speaking to but catching something before it's too late there are loads of video documentaries film documentaries talking to Holocaust survivors and survivors of things that happened in around the second world war. But as the podcast medium stands, very few It's such a new medium and it's dominated by stand-up comedians and uh, entrepreneurs, but it's really now just opening up to everybody. Yeah. And I wanted to jump on that as an opportunity to learn from these conversations and and let other people engage with them. So it's not just about me getting something from it. It's not just about the individual I'm speaking to gaining something maybe by talking about it in a cathartic way, but also the, the individuals listening as well all over the world. And yeah, it, it's been mind blowing so far. Have you found that it's helped you connect deep with your faith? Not especially, not no. especially. My, my faith is a complicated one because <laughs> I, I, when I say flimsy Jew and the type of household I grew up in, there wasn't such an emphasis on a belief in God. It was more about you do as you're told. And sometimes it was do as I do, as I say, not as I do. I, I, my, my dad was, was and is the most incredibly loving, caring, generous, uh, benevolent, amazing father. But in, in Jewish culture keeps keeping kosher you're not supposed to mix milk and meat in a meal right we'd have a chicken chicken dinner on a friday night and then i'd catch him sneaking some chocolate raisins like we're thinking no one was looking and we go oh you, you can't do that you go do as i say not as i do and it was so i grew up with a bit of a double standard and it meant that i was very confused hence suddenly going very religious when i was 16 and at times becoming very cynical about things i discovered christopher hitchens and jordan peterson and sam harris and thinking oh there's no such thing as god anyone who thinks of like believes in god or is theistic any in any way is a moron and like we're just knuckle dragging monkeys on a rock flying through space you idiots and i just became this very angry person and over time i've just mellowed into this i guess i'm happy to I, i'm an agnostic jew i'm a practicing jew but i'm happy to say 
I don't know. You don't know. So unless someone else proves it to me, why should I say any different and respect what other people believe? And occasionally I've, I've wondered about God and life after death and things like that. But ultimately, I've come to this happy understanding or hope that it really just matters what you do in this life. It just matters, not just for the sake of your memory once you're gone, because that's, as far as we understand it, the only thing that is left of us when we die is memory of us. The only good things, so leaving memory behind, but also what you do to impact other people. So being a net good for the people around you. And I engage with that, I guess, from a Jewish perspective. And the podcast has definitely helped me with that, engaging with people in a less selfish way. And it ties in. But in terms of faith, I'd say that my faith has dropped off a deep end and nothing as far as I can see it is bringing that back. But that's a good thing, I think, because it's helped me engage engage with people on the same physical plane as me. Good way to put it, I guess. I hope so. Maybe just need to deal with the feelings <laughs> of guilt for watching Netflix on a Saturday. Yeah, well, that'll never go away. That'll never go away. <laughs> just watch something better. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Maybe it's a choice of TV programs. So the podcast is is something that you've been doing for a while. But what's the one thing when you started out? What's the one thing you'd wish you'd known at the beginning that you know now? I guess it, I wish I had a. I wish I'd have gone into it with a more humble mindset i can be quite arrogant because I, I i'm classic wikipedia generation right i deep dive into something I, I i find interesting and then i suddenly can talk about it for days but really all i've done is stay up till three in the morning learning all about joe pesci's like career like that doesn't make me an expert in joe pesci i can just parrot back stuff i read that night yeah and in wanting to start the podcast, I said, right, I've got to do my homework. I've got to do my research. And it just was not enough. I should have done more research. I should have had more in the bank before we launched. I should have waited to launch. I rushed to launch. I was like, I have to get them out before Christmas, 23rd of December, 2019. And Victoria was saying to me, just hold back, hold back. I was like, no, I've got to get them out. I'm going to make money from this. I need to get sponsors. I need to do this. Bullshit. Bullshit. You need to work on being authentic. And you need to work on quality or the best quality you can achieve. For example, I now use a decent studio setup. It's taken me over a year to get to this point. I wanted to use the best possible setup I could use at that time, which was a tiny Zoom H2N, which was fine for recording my intros. So I had great production value there, but I didn't put in the time and energy to work out how to get the most out of those resources when interviewing my guests. So I rushed into it. So I, I wish I'd have just taken the time to just be more humble about it and learn and ask more questions from people rather than think I had the answers because I Googled it, if you know what I mean. And yeah. I, I think that's something that I'm guilty of consistently in most things that I do. I, I'm, I can be very impatient. But yeah, but hindsight's twenty twenty. What should I have done differently? Loads of things. However, however, I'm very fortunate to be in the position I am now in. Therefore, the mistakes that I made, even though they were just over a year ago, 
that led me to where I am now. And I, I can try and apply that to most of the mistakes that I've made. You use the mistakes as a learning experience rather than dwelling on them as fuck ups, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting, actually, because quite often a few people and, and some other stuff I've had on the pods have actually said it's better to get started and then improve. Get going, then get good. Yeah. Whereas actually, I think yeah. you've kind of gone, no, no, no. It's important to be good as well. <laughs> and I think sometimes that's... No, I don't know it's about being good. It's about just knowing what you're, just knowing where you're at. Mm. I, I think I, I think I went in very arrogantly saying I want to appear to be more qualified to do this than I was. Yeah. And I, I should have gone into it with more of an attitude of like, I, I just want to learn how to do this better. And I think I'll always do that when I start a new thing is go in thinking I've got it, got it all made. But I guess maybe that, that level of confidence is what gets or got me over the fear of starting it in the first place. Maybe, I don't know. Because prior to launching this, I would have described myself as a very, not a very creative person. No, I'm not. I like putting together IKEA bookcases. That's not creative. Following instructions isn't creative. And it was that fear of failure that stopped me from trying things like launching a podcast. It was just, I liked podcasts so much and felt an affinity towards the medium. I was able to overcome that fear. And maybe that came out as overconfident. And again, learn from it rather than regret it, I think. Absolutely. So what, what has been your biggest failure? What's been the biggest failure or lesson that you've learned about the podcast then? In the podcast, I think my biggest failure was putting out a conversation for the sake of it sounding very interesting. And I've got to be careful how I phrase this because it's not a podcast that's available anymore. But if you go looking for it, you'll find out why. Um, I spoke to somebody who had on paper a very interesting story. Still is an interesting story. But it became clear after it was released that I was dealing with a situation that involved mental health. I was dealing with an acrimonious split between two people. Mm. And it was a very insensitive thing of me to do to put out that episode because it affected someone who didn't have a voice in the conversation. And it also affected children of that partnership. And I think I should have taken more guidance on whether or not that was a, a, an appropriate episode to release. Even though I, I tried to handle it with kid gloves and tried to be sensitive in it, it caused pain to people in a way that I would have never wanted to do. And I put it out, like I said earlier, I put it out for the sake of just, I needed something to put out. It was a really interesting topic. It was soundbite worthy. It was Instagram worthy. Yeah. But ultimately, it, I think it harmed more people than it benefited in the immediate circle of people related to that episode. And that was a huge mistake. Again, I've learned from that. I now know to not try and involve a conversation that might involve people who can't have a voice. So yeah. for example, if talking to somebody about a divorce, for example, it's just not appropriate. Hmm. Unless you're talking to two separate people doing some Jerry Springer thing. It's not 
appropriate to talk to somebody about a split or what was it like for you when the other person just has no voice in the conversation and it has allowed me to choose more carefully who I'm willing to speak to especially when it relates to family or personal situations and uh, to just be more sensitive uh, to the person that I'm speaking to and the people that might affect because I think sometimes I can be very closed-minded thinking right I'm talking to this person because of the subject but I'm also talking to a person mm. so you've got to be very careful that if this person's maybe in the world that i'm trying to branch into i'm talking to everyday people i'm not talking to celebrities i'm talking to people like you or me or people who aren't necessarily in the public eye sometimes are mostly not and they've never spoken on this medium before i've barely used this medium i've been doing it for a year i'm green as they come but getting a microphone in front of somebody to pour out their story that might i might be forcing them to talk in a way that they might not want to looking back on it five years from now. But I'm also giving a platform to people to say whatever they want mm. in a way that can affect other people. And I've got to just got to be mindful of that. I don't know. And I've got a bigger roundabout way of talking about it. Cause I do have to be careful how I talk about that particular situation. But the learning experience for me was very important in terms of being mindful of how that the, the consequences my actions have using this medium yeah i think that's that's a that's a, a big lesson to learn i've only used the hate <laughs> word yeah <laughs> let's not go there again yeah. but it is it's, it's it's a massive massive lesson and i think it's it, it's quite right that you kind of recognize that it's that person that doesn't have the voice on a, a one-sided story that can kind of distort the, the truth sometimes, yeah, which yeah. isn't necessarily the best way to put it. And it's really, really quite inspiring the fact that you're quite open and honest and raw to kind of admit that's the biggest mistake. And actually, pardon my French, but you fucked up a little bit and you should have yeah. probably not done that and got the other side of stories as well. And maybe that's a direction to take the pod in the future is to have divorcing couples have one side of a, either side of a microphone. Now that would definitely get ratings. You'd probably want a video on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Go with well, Jeremy Kyle. Well, I'd agree with you. It was a huge, yeah. yeah, it was a huge fuck up on my part. Um, and I won't make that mistake again, but I, I think that, yeah, it, it's, it's a very new medium. Mm. It's, only, well, it's been going for like 10, 11 years, really mostly. I think the first ever podcast we may be just a little bit longer than that. And yeah, I think yeah. It's uh, if you look at my bio on my website, I say that my life is a series of um, failing upwards, series of things where I failed upwards. I forest gumped my way through life. I've fucked so many things up, and somehow I am the luckiest guy on the planet. I've got a wife, I've got three kids, I've got a roof over my head, and I've got just incredible people I connect with on a day-to-day -day basis. Based on my actions from age like eighteen to. 25 i should have nothing and i think it's the worst character trait in a person to refuse to acknowledge that your mistakes you have to acknowledge your mistakes I, I i run businesses as well and i absolutely respect somebody when they cock up and they go it was on me i'll do my best to make sure it doesn't happen again or it won't happen again there's nothing worse than someone goes when someone goes, oh, it was somebody else's fault, or they try and shift blame, or when they go, yeah, I'm sorry, but yeah, yeah. no, 
No. With this situation we're talking about, it was my mistake. It was my mistake alone. I will not make that mistake again. Boom. And I'm sorry yeah. about it. That's it. Yeah. And that that's a huge lesson that I've I've had to take on board. Absolutely. It's really interesting, actually, just to come back to that but point. Whenever somebody says, I'm this, but it's when the, it's like the, the age old, I'm not racist, but yeah, yeah, you are then. Let's be yeah. fair. That but, but doesn't exclude yeah. from what you're about to say. But just to kind of segue back to your Forrest Gump comment there, because I'm also, <laughs> <laughs> interestingly, the other parallel with yourself, I guess, is, is the long distance running. So tell yeah. me about that. So I've, I've always been an active person. As a kid, I was very athletic, swam like six days a week. I'd play football, run. But so my, my main sports as a kid when I was in high school were swimming and running. And I'd run 400 meters. I wasn't that great, but I was always running. And my dad would take me running in the local park. And I was just always running everywhere. And just at some point, you hit uni age and you just... I don't know, you discover alcohol and other things that you shouldn't be indulging in as much as students do, and you get fat and lazy. And I got married very young, so 22 years old, borderline overweight, not overweight, but just very unhealthy lifestyle. I was a heavy drinker, always have been. And basically leading up to the age of 27, 28, I fluctuated in terms of health and fitness. So I'd binge like food and drink and everything else. And then I'd binge being healthy. And then I'd go up and down and up and down peaks and troughs. And I realized that with hindsight, that was everything in my life. I'm an over consumer of everything, good and bad. And at one point where, so it's now, so it's 2017. I threw my back out at work doing something I shouldn't have been doing. And it was like the icing on the, the the unhealthy cake of my life. So I was all, I was out of shape and I was dragging stuff about. I shouldn't have been dragging about. And I slipped two discs in my back. So cue on top of an already unhealthy lifestyle, I'm now self-medicating with alcohol. I'm popping every pill I can get prescribed. And I'm just not looking after myself. Because I'm, saying, I'm in too much pain to exercise. I need something to kill the pain so I can lose weight and feel better. And it accumulated with me me making someone very ill christmas eve 2017 uh yeah 2017 whereby we tried to drink each other under the table someone very close to me and they ended up in hospital with acute pancreatitis and nearly died and for a while before that i'd been having that sort of conversation with myself should i stop this yeah, I'll stop it one day. It's not a problem anymore. I'm still young. I can always lose the weight if I want to. I can always get fit again if I want to. But I'd screwed up my back and I felt like, I keep saying these comedians jokes, but the Louis C.K. bit where he goes, you hit a certain age, you go to the doctor, whereby when you're like 20, you break your ankle and they'll rebuild you. They'll put you back together. They'll put pieces of metal in and you'll be the bionic man. But you hit a certain age and the doctor just goes, you're shitty now. There's nothing we can do. That's just a shitty ankle now. So for me, it was like, I fucked my back up. I'm done. I can't carry my kids anymore. And it was, yeah, low point in my life. But feeling responsible for this person getting very, very poorly, it, it, within a day or so, I was like, right, I, I need to say this out loud to my wife 
I have a problem with alcohol, specifically consuming. I've got a problem with food. I've got a problem with pills. I've got a problem with anything. Once someone could have a problem with, I've got a problem with. So I don't use the term alcoholic. I just, I've got a problem with consuming things. And I said, I'm, I'm going to quit drinking and I'm going to get, get myself right. Uh, and so that was the, that was I think boxing day, 2017. So I haven't had a drink since. Haven't, it was a struggle initially, but in the weeks and months after that, I was thinking, I, I don't just need to not drink and eat healthily. I need to keep fit. And I realized if I keep the weight off, my back would be fine. So I'm not lifting weights. I'm not doing anything strenuous. I'm just starting to run. And I was traveling a lot for work. One of the reasons why I had the bad back in the first place, uh, as in the icing on the cake was the dragging stuff about. And the reason why it was bad in the first place was the driving. And I found myself in beautiful places all over the UK because I do a lot of stuff in the countryside. And I just thought, right, next time I'll take my trainers with me and I'll do a run. And then when I got home, I was like, maybe I'm going to just run to the end of the street and back. And I always used to love running. And so I'd go on a 20 minute run and I'd feel like I was dying. My legs were falling to pieces, but I just had, I think I was listening to like Cameron Haynes or David Goggins or like inspirational mental athletes, people who not only are physical specimens, but mental specimens as well. Determination. And I think I heard the, I think I heard the, like something to do with Jocko Willink. Navy SEAL, where when anything bad happens or you feel bad, he would say, good. Yeah. Good. It's hard. Good. Yeah. It's really dark out. I don't want to go. Good. Good. Yeah. yeah. It's fucking cold. Good. And it was like that level of inspiration or just hearing David Goggins say like, conquer, you're in a bitch. Get hard. Keep hammering. Cameron Haynes, keep hammering. Just keep hammering. Just keep hammering. And he said, do you not think I feel like a bitch? I hate putting my trainers on in the morning. I just still, but I still get out there because I'm not a bitch. Get out there type thing. And so it was getting over the the fear of failure, getting over that hump. And I put my trainers on and I'd go. And now I'm at the point, a couple of years later, well, listen, I'm not a marathon runner. I'm not a physical specimen. But if I don't run mentally and physically, I fall to pieces very quickly. So at the beginning of January, I decided after now nearly a couple of years of running, maybe 10K a week, a 10K here or there, the longest run I've done is just shy of a half marathon around a lake in Wales. I just don't have the time to do anything longer than that at this point. But I said, right, I'm going to run 25K a week, 5K at least five days a week from January 1st to december 31st 2021 because during lockdown it has kept me sane and so far i'm well on track but that if we're talking about it from a mental health perspective and i talked about this on my podcast last week with someone who also found a benefit in running that sort of rhythmic plodding when you first get out there the first 5 10 15 minutes you want to die. You want to quit. Mm-hmm. You hate it. You're going, am I breathing wrong? Oh, I've got a snotty nose. Ah, my ankle, this. But then once you get past a certain point, you feel like you can just keep going. It becomes meditative. And I listen to podcasts while I'm running. A lot of people don't, and they, like, they're okay with their own thoughts. I tend to try and avoid my own thoughts. But it's, it's this meditative goal-setting thing that has brought me nothing but goodness. 
yeah, I'm sore. Yeah, occasionally I've got to take a day off. But that pain is infinitely better than the back pain I had when I was laid up and had to sleep on the floor because I couldn't move and the sciatica down my leg from the slip disc. The pain of blisters on my feet is nothing compared to feeling like a piece of shit because the reason why you can't carry your four-year-old on your shoulders is because you're a lazy bastard. All the pain that comes with working hard is so sweet and the pain that comes from doing nothing is horrendous. So running for me, and I'm hoping to do half marathons and marathons and longer distances over time. It's just, I've got, I've got three kids under eight, so it's just no time. But the time I do take, I make sure to get out there. I'll give you an example. If I'm running regularly, once, twice a week, not doing the five days a week thing, I feel great consistently. But if I take a week off, I start to feel a bit miserable. Yeah. By the Sunday of that week, if I've, it's been a whole week, I get anxiety attacks. My wife is like, are you okay? Like, I'll be okay. Do you want to go on a run? And then suddenly I can't go on a run because I'm too worked up. Mm-hmm. But then when I do get out there, despite how much hell I've put my family through by being a nervous wreck, I'm suddenly a different person. And I've never had that before. No matter what I've been prescribed, no matter what I've drunk or I've eaten or I've taken, yeah. nothing has made me feel better compared to running. And I compare it to... If I had to compare it to going to the gym, like I used to do as a teenager and put on muscle and try and look ripped and just look good. The anxiety that comes from going to the gym and lifting weights and trying to look good outweighs the mental health benefits for me of the exercise in the first place. I look in the mirror every day to make sure I don't look like a homeless person. And that's about it. And that's amazing. I've not got a great physique. I'm a bit skinny. I, I'm a bit lean, but I'm not the rock. Like, I'm not. I'm not anything to. Like, I wouldn't necessarily look great in. <laughs> hey, the point is, I'm not a specimen. But what I am, what I am, is someone who feels good in their own skin. Because I'm not thinking about how I look. Is the point I'm trying to make. I'm thinking about what's inside my head, and I'm keeping on top of that by making sure I'm looking after my meat vehicle. To quote another podcaster. So if it wasn't running it could be something else but for me running is something that i felt i needed to get back to after so many years of not doing it because i feel like I, it was something i could have kept up and i didn't and now that i'm back on it i i recommend it to everybody Do you know i've had so many people on my podcast that literally running and save save them i think is the best way to put it people that have gone from non-runners to now running ultra marathons mm. iron men to then evolved into into triathlons and things like that me myself I, I completely understand where you're coming from you, three people you mentioned there are massive massive heroes inspirations yeah. and my go-to places so a few weeks ago when when i had a bit of a dip go back to go back to being who you are go back to being authentic go back to listening to the people that speak to speak to me so you mentioned that sometimes there's a joke on a podcast you go they said that to me yeah the goggins the inner governor having that inner voice and just saying just get on with it i don't want to like you say he says it shoots for 20 minutes but he still puts them on and runs yeah and that mental fortitude to do that is is kind of what i need to kind of sometimes remind myself that i need to do so i had a a health challenge last year where i've been training for an iron man yeah for bolton and i'm training six seven days a week and then just before christmas i I came i got diagnosed with blood clots in my lung 
oh, which completely knocked me sideways with no training. I went from the day before running 10 miles to then the next day in the hospital saying no exercise. And it just completely blew my mind because it was, I can't do anything. What can I do? Yeah. And I've, yeah. I'm back now. They've cleared. Thankfully, I'm on meds, but I'm now slowly easing back in. And it's the difference in terms of mindset and that drive has just completely changed my own perspective. So, yeah, I get completely the benefits of running yeah. uh, and, and how it just, I was going to say it sorts you out. It sorts your head out. It does. And it just gives you that ease. Um, I think it's also clarity. very difficult for people to just hear it say, well, just go running. It's not easy to start off from nothing. It's like people who are a bit heavier. It can be dangerous just to go running. Yeah. But it's doing a little bit. And I mentioned setting goals. Apparently, according to my mother-in-law, who is a, a psychotherapist, she recommends running not necessarily for, for, for fitness, but for mental health, because just saying, I'm going to run to that tree and back. Next time I'm going to run to the tree after. Next time I'm going to run 5K. Next time I'm going to run with six. Setting yourself those personal goals and running is a very good tool for that. That has tremendous mental health benefits, apparently. It does work for me. I know it works for other people. But it's not easy to just say, right, okay, this schmo on the podcast today is saying go running. I can't. I've got a bad ankle. I've got this. I've got that. It doesn't have to be running. It's very difficult to get out about. Now, the weather's garbage in the UK right now. And I'm fortunate enough to be able to say, well, I, I've got the gear to do it. Not everybody can just go online and buy new trainers, a running coat, a hat, gloves, earbuds, whatever, to, to do it the same way I might do it. So I take that for granted that I've spent two years building up to where I am now, whereas two years ago I was going out in like just pajama shorts and trainers and getting blisters from wearing just one pair of socks. It's taken me time. But if you don't get out the door that first time, you'll never get to where you'll be in two years time yep. or five years or 10 years. It's about having the impetus to just get up for that first time and know that next time you're going to go out and having, having the mental strength to keep going. And I, I, I have to always fall back on being inspired. I think, was it Oprah Winfrey says, who have you inspired today? Forget inspiring someone, find someone that inspires you because that that is transformative for me yeah absolutely transformative absolutely yeah no i agree but i think the other the other danger sometimes um is is sometimes people will wait to get the kit before they before they do something so i can't run because i've not got a pair of trainers i can't run because i've not got the latest nike x plus percentage yeah carbon fiber no just get out and do it then build up on it yeah, yeah. I, I think that's that's the key because there's quite often there's that phrase all the gear with no idea it's yeah. just a reason not to go out and it's it's a delay tactic in some cases not always but it can yeah. be a delaying tactic so yeah absolutely get out do it then refine then perfect even if but it's just walking other i'd yeah. say even if it's just walking everyone like, as long as you've got two feet and you can walk go for a walk that's the best way to start everyone everyone was baking banana bread and going on walks at the beginning of lockdown and it seems that it's it it's really draining people still being under these restrictions we're all back at home and the weather's rubbish yeah it's like being in prison but you're allowed to go out and walk if you can do it safely you've got to do it absolutely, absolutely got to do it yeah so so who who inspires you then you mentioned that you look for someone that inspires you who inspires you loads of different people for different reasons there's some people that inspire me that drive me insane in other ways and there's people that inspire me that i can only look up to i think going back in my own personal history i was 
had a tendency to look up to people too quickly. And I'd, I'd hero worship people and try and emulate people. And I, I'd get myself into situations where I'd be disappointed in these people. And not only would I lose respect for them, I'd actively disrespect them. But it was my own fault for jumping on their bandwagon first. So in terms of who I actually respect, I res- like the person I respect the most in the world is my wife, Victoria. She's a chartered professional. She's a mum of three kids. She was a mum of one, even. It doesn't matter if it's a mum of three. She's a mum, which is a hard feat in itself. She's an incredible friend. She's an incredible like partner to me and friend to me and friend to everybody. She just she's always looking out for other people's interests before her own, which is both a, a huge character trait and a flaw. But she she just made like I, I'm I'm like a hamster on a wheel, and I could probably be a bit much to be married to. And we've discussed this before, and I've said like anything good I do even if it's an obsession of mine and I just, I, I'm off doing my own thing. I wouldn't have a purpose or a drive if it weren't, weren't for Victoria. I just wouldn't. So in terms of number one, definitely Victoria, my dad, because even though he drives me insane, he's the kindest, most generous, generous person I've ever met. He just gives everything away, gives of his time, gives of everything he's got. He'd give you the clothes off his back if he could. They're just incredibly kind. I looked up to my, my grandpa and so my dad's dad. He was, he was a doctor, an artist, an athlete. Uh, and I, it was just uh, everything. He was an amazing man. And, and the patriarch of the family got my other granddad who's still with us, who was an incredibly successful businessman. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I think I spent a long time looking for people to inspire me. And I found loads. But the people who... I think I took for granted for some time when I was in my lowest points. They were just there next to me the whole time. So, yeah, we talked about Goggins, Cameron Haynes, Jocko Willing, Joe Rogan, whoever. Anyone can can find inspiration in the most inspirational people in the world. But I think, is it soundbite time? In this time now where everyone's always on their phones, on social media or whatever, you've got good people in your life engage with them so you don't lose them you run the risk of losing good people if you're too in your own head or you're always looking for somebody else or something new anything good in your life you've got to appreciate and i'm i'm the luckiest guy on the planet that the best things in my life they're just right here they're downstairs trashing the kitchen as we speak so i'm very fortunate in that regard well that's amazing it left me a little bit speechless to be fair but no, that's that's great to hear. And I think it's I think you've reached the place where you actually recognize that, that what's important, which is I think most people's journey. And it seems like you're you you've kind of getting to the end of that journey to realize what's important. Yeah. So we're coming towards the end of the podcast. Um, thankfully, maybe for you. Um, no, to save your voice if you're going to get a bit dry. <laughs> one question I'd like to ask you is what's what's one common myth about you that that you'd like to kind of debunk? So what do people think of you that before they meet you, they think, oh, he's bound to be arrogant or he's bound to be this, that actually when they get to know you, you go, actually, he's nothing like what I expected. I think that some people who are, I know, relatively close to me think that I'm someone who's got it all put together. And I, I am arrogant sometimes, as I've said. But I don't have it all put together. I don't know what I'm doing. And yeah. for a long time, that that made me feel very bad about myself i had 
a tremendous self-loathing existential dread because I would put on this facade that I know what I'm doing, whether it was work or family, and I didn't. And I would never admit it. And I'd always lie to myself as well. But when, like you said, I've got to this point now, I'm in my 30s, it's taken me the best part of 30 years to just be able to love myself a bit more. So if people, the myth about me is that I'm a, I'm a happy, confident person. I'm not. I'm an anxious ball of stress all the time. And it's not because my life is bad. It's not because I've got bad people around me. It's because I've got issues. I've got issues with anxiety. I've got issues with dread. And I, I, can, I can spiral and I can have self-destructive behavior. But if I stay on top of that, I'm able to get closer and closer to the person that I try to portray as being well put together. If I'm work, like say when, when you start dating someone, you put on this like persona, this facade, cause you want the person to like you. And then sometimes down the line, they might say, you're not who I first met or you're not what you led me to believe. And that's quite a common thing. It happened with me in Victoria. I wanted to be this incredible, well put together person. And I wasn't, I was, a, I was falling to pieces. But if I am doing everything in my power to be that person I try to portray or I promised I would be, then I feel good. If I'm honest, authentic, and try and just be a good person rather than be the person who wants to sit on the couch and tam 20 beers and eat pizza and just, just spiral, I just push all of that back and just try, strive to be the best I can be. And I feel great. I feel great just knowing that I've tried. And that's something that took me 30 years to just be confident in the fact that I tried it. Because like you said, like, oh, um, all gear. What was it? All gear. All gear, no, no idea. All gear, no idea. I was that kind of guy. I was like, did you ever watch Red Dwarf? Yeah. So the first ever episode of Red Dwarf, Rimmer is studying for an exam, like a captain's exam. And he spends the entire revision period making the most beautiful revision timetable. And on the day of the exam, he's putting the finishing touches on his timetable, but he's not done one speck of revision. That was me, in a nutshell. And now, getting over that fear of trying to just be the person I said I would be and committing to what I set out to achieve, even if I'm not there yet, I'm a happier person for it, and I hope the people around me are better for it as well. Amazing. So talking about the people around you, how can our listeners connect with you online? So I run the, the Sods Law podcast, which is available anywhere you get podcasts, Apple, Spotify, everywhere. It's also available on YouTube and on our website, sodspod.com. You can find everything to do with the podcast, to do with me on all social media with the handles at Daniel M. Rosenberg or at Sodspod. And yeah, it's that, that's pretty much everything to do with the podcast and what you see with me personally. Not that au fait with social media. I've only been doing it since I launched the podcast, but we get tremendous feedback through it. And I, I love to hear feedback. So if anyone has anything to comment on to do with the podcast, you think we could do something better. Or if you want to just engage or if you've got something you want to talk about, I'm open. I'm quite an easy person to get hold of. And yeah, I just like you. I just like talking to people. Amazing. So 
Thank you for that. Last question. If you could step into my shoes, what would you have asked yourself that I haven't asked you? Difficult question, isn't it? I'd probably ask, I guess, something along the lines of, like, it's a, it's a shitty age-old question, is, but what would you ask your 16-year-old self type thing? I hate asking that question, but I think it is an important question when you're talking to somebody who's been waxing lyrical for an hour about mental health and look how I've done it. But, like, it's important to have that retrospect and hindsight. So, yeah, like, what what would I be speaking what, what what would i ask my six or tell my 16 year old self i'd probably tell them like pull your fucking finger out mate it's not going to be handed to you on a platter you're the only person who can do it and if you don't do it you're going to end up in the gutter or worse and i think I, the the benefit of having a great upbringing meant i had no fear and it took me till my 30s to have that fear and i should have had that fear much earlier on because i think everyone in my life would have been better for it if I'd have had that attitude then, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a perfect way to end. And thank you very much for coming on. So that's, that's the end of the show. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. Daniel, and thank you for listening. So make sure to check out our community where we help people to network, learn new skills and develop them and their business. Thanks for listening to the simply people podcast. Before we go show some love for what we're doing by leaving us a review on your podcast platform or sharing the episode with a friend. Tune in for our next episode where we're speaking with another amazing guest. Daniel, thanks so much. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Simply People Podcast.